Man, it's going to be great. Matter of fact, we're starting off tonight with our kickoff party from 5 to 7. There'll be food there. There'll be a bouncy castle there. It'll be an opportunity for you to, like, invite a friend and their kids that really not too sure about what's going on, get an opportunity to meet people. You can get to meet your teachers. They can explain to you the drop-off and pick-up line and all that amazing stuff that's going to happen there. Um, also, uh, yeah, let them know that we're not crazies, that we don't, we're not looking to hurt anybody. We just want to help kids discover who Jesus is. And so let me invite you to come and be a part of that. Also, when you're leaving here today, you're going to be held, you're going to be handed one of these cards. These are prayer request cards for each day that we're going to ask you to pray for the kids. I know some of you here, let's just have a heart-to-heart moment. You don't like kids, okay? And, and you don't have to, if you're a Christian, you don't have to like kids. I mean, I understand they're like, a, they're like another species. And, and maybe you've already done kids and you're like, yeah, I already done that, don't, don't do nursery. That's okay. I'm willing to bet I could get a check out of you easier than I could get, uh, than I get you to work in the nursery. So... Um, if you decide you want to give a check, we'll, we'll receive those today as well. But what we would want more than all of that is for you to pray for us. Pray for the teachers. Pray for the kids. Pray for this moment. Um, little kids experiencing Jesus is not a little thing. It's, it changes the trajectory of people's lives. It can affect families. So, so if, you, if you're not going to be a part of it that way, please be a part of it this way. And people will hand you these as you walk out the door today. So today is going to be good. I'm telling you, it's going to be good. It's going to be, I mean, I, um, I like it. Uh, we're talking about Zion. We talked about that, uh, how I went to Zion and chickened out on the trails. And yes, I'm a big weenie or a wuss, whatever generation you have, that, how, where, however you say that. But because of the heights, I was not able to experience everything that Zion had to offer. Amazing park. It did not fail me. The mountains are amazing. The trails are amazing. The river, all of it is stunning. But I didn't experience Angel Landing because I chickened out, not because the park failed me. And we learned that Zion is a word that means marked, that when it comes to the kingdom of God, God has invited us to be a part of his kingdom. But we've been marked by God, we've been marked for God, and we've been marked as belonging to God. And that God wants us to experience all the best views. He wants us to take the trails and go and see the greatest sunsets, the greatest. He wants us to have great marriages. He wants us to to enjoy our parenting and to have good experience with it and to experience flourishing in our families and, and in our careers and all of it. But we've got to be willing to do the trails. It's not enough just to say, well, today I gave my life to Jesus in 1981. And on October 5th, I gave my life to the Lord, and that from that point on, that's all I've done. But rather, we enter into a relationship with God through Christ, and then we got to decide whether or not we want the trails or not. Do you want the great marriage? Do you want the parenting? Do you want a, a sense of meaning in your career and all? So we started talking about the hard trail called marriage, and that God wants us to experience so much in our, in our lives about it. And um, so you're, if you're here today and you're not married, this is a definite for you. You want this message. Not all my messages are good, okay? I, I'm a, like one out of five. One out of five are like, whoa, that was really good. I'd never thought of it that way. 
But this is one out of five, okay? This is one out of five because one of the things that we learned about the trails at Zion or any national park is that you got to look at the trailhead and find out what you're about to get in. And they're, they're all marked out. They'll, they'll tell you about, the, you know, whether or not you can bring a dog or not or uh, uh, avoiding wet conditions or icing or what kind of shoes to wear. They'll also tell you what the elevation is going to be, how much is it going to rise, how much is it going to fall while you're there, what are some of the things that you're going to see while you're out there. It's all laid out for you before you even get on the trail. So when we talk about marriage, uh, we're acting today in society like, well, what does God want for marriage? As if it's not marked out already. And, it's, and it really is clearly marked out. When we begin to look at the maps of Scripture about marriage, it really is laid out. There really isn't a lot of guesswork about how God wants this trail that can be one of the greatest trails you'll ever walk in your life. I've been married before. I've been married, I've been married twice. Uh, I've had hell on earth, and I have also experienced heaven on earth. And the difference wasn't whether or not it was the right person or not. It came down to whether or not I was going to walk the trail that God called me to walk on in marriage, about what I contributed, about the way that I was living my life. And so um, when we started looking at marriage, we see that it's already marked out. And I, I saw these components that are repeated over and over again. They're kind of like the, the items of marriage that seem to float to the top. We can pull all kinds of things out about marriage, but these three seem to be talked about a lot in marriage. And we talked about uh, last week, we talked about configuration, covenant, and character, that these seem to be the three chords of the, the strands of marriage, that, that, that there's configuration to marriage. That there's, uh, God will actually tell us, okay, we may be wondering here today in our society, you know, is it okay for two girls to get married, two guys to get married, or whatever, and and today is not an anti-anything uh, message. This is all about what does the trail say? And this is the trail. If you want to walk on another trail in another park, go for it. We're talking about the trail that's marked off for the people in Zion, for the people of God. So if that really doesn't matter to you, then I, you know, today will be interesting, but really may not impress you at all. But when you start talking about, I want God's best for my life, then today, that's what we're talking about. So we talked about there's configuration, that all the way from the scriptures, explicitly from Genesis to even out of the mouth of Jesus, that God created us to be married, male and female, man and wife. Um, that, and here's the other thing you need to remember, is that everything in the Bible is going to offend you. Okay? Everything in the Bible is going to challenge you. God has called us to become new creations in Christ. Old things pass away, all things have become new. What part of you, remaining you, is in that sentence? Uh, it, Paul says, it's no longer I who lives, but now Christ who lives within me. Everything about Christianity challenges the uh, intrinsic uh, or the predilections of our humanity. So when you're shocked in a service like today and you're like, oh my gosh, that's offensive, or, or I, I, I don't buy that. It's like, if you're looking for, for Christianity that's congruous with your default biological, sociological patterns and trails of life. There is no such Christianity like that. Jesus calls us to, 
the, to choose the narrow way and not the broad way. There is a broad way, and you can take that way, but there's this narrow way that he calls us to, and he invites us to be a part of. So I want you to be heads up about that, because a lot of people like looking for churches or preaching that kind of coincides with their, their genetic, uh, you know, or, or their attractional desires. It's like, no, God's always offending me. You know, it's, it's, like, it's like, Paul, I'm not trying to create the best version of you. I'm trying to create a new creation in you. I don't want you at your best. I want you to be like Christ in all things. So if you're here today and you hear something that's kind of like, oh, that's offensive. Normally, we just kind of run or we say, I don't know, you know, we'll tune somebody off. But I'm going to tell you, most of the stuff that God says to us will offend core human behavior. And so just kind of breathe easy today. Just kind of like, I can't believe you said that out loud. I'm going to stay to the scriptures. I'm not leaning to the right, and I'm not leaning to the left. I'm not preaching for Biden, and I'm not preaching for Trump. I'm not preaching for any of that. I am just marking out what the scripture says about these trails. So one of the things is he talks about configuration, about um, you may have attractions in another way, but I want you to take this trail, even if your attractions are in another way. There are a lot of attractions that I have that God challenges me about to get on the right trail with God. So in this, the Bible talks about man and woman. Scripture is, is, is totally replete. I mean, it's just loaded with this because this subject really concerned me about configuration. And so it's like, okay, I found the verses that spoke directly or explicitly. And then there were the ones that there's the beginning story. It's like the story, the Bible begins with an Adam and Eve. Then there's the ending story. Jesus comes back for his bride, so we have, it, we have a male-female husband-and-wife relationship there. Then all the historical stories in between are about like Adam, I mean like Abraham and Sarah. The historical stories are always husbands and wives. And then the instructional stories and, the, and all the epistles are about how husbands are supposed to love their wives and how wives are supposed to love their husbands. They're always male and female. All the metaphorical stories that come to us out of the Proverbs or the, or the Psalms or, or, or the book of... Uh, uh, um, a bunch of other books in there, and also, uh, <laughs> and, the, and parables, all the parables, they're all this. So, so if that challenges you, it's okay. It doesn't, make you, it doesn't make you the worst person on the planet, okay? It, marriage will challenge all your predilections, all your inclinations. It will. The second one gets me big time. The configuration thing, you know, that really wasn't an issue for me. But the second one, covenant, yeah, that's, I don't like covenant. I don't like, I don't like keeping promises. You know, I, I, I want to do my own thing. I want to do what I, I want to do, you know, when I feel like doing it, you know. And uh, I don't want to be locked down to one particular person or one particular thing. And, um, and I, I know you're like, oh, my goodness, I can't believe. Su- is Miss Susan outside listening to this? She's heard all this, okay, uh, and it doesn't threaten it or her at all. She knows that my love for her is now something that supersedes me, and it's, it's a choice that I make every single day. That's sexy. You know, just to say, well, I have a biological leaning towards you, or because you're hot, you know, I mean, I mean, very real. I mean, it's like, no, it's because I make a choice to live in covenant relationship with my wife, and... Uh, I embrace the struggle. Covenant says, I'm willing to, I'm willing to embrace the struggle. I, I'm willing to do the hard thing. I, I'm willing to give you my heart even if you rip it out and stomp on it. 
Um, and so we need to realize, too, that the scripture is very clear. There is no explicit or implied intimate relationship between a man and a woman that, uh, other than that which is found in covenant relationship of marriage. So if you're hooking up, if you're, 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 and there are a lot of people here, I know that you're living together, and that, you know, I'm not here to heap anything on you. I just want to let you know the trail. And uh, if you don't buy it because of the Bible, I get that. But let's just be uh, analytical. The statistics from secular sources, I don't go to Christian sources, you know, like all the, you know, this group, Christian group over here says this. I go to just secular sources because I, I want raw data that's not been interpreted with a bias. The data is this, that if you're living together, 80% of you, if you get married, will fail at marriage. That's the data. Now, it would be equivalent to me saying, listen, if you give me $1,000, I'm going to invest it for you. Now, I'm going to tell you, probably there's an 80% chance you're going to lose all your money. Now, how many of you would give me that $1,000? Don't raise your hand, but see me afterwards. Because uh, I'll take your $1,000. Um, but you wouldn't do that. But we have statistical data that says that living together, hooking up, and all that other stuff that we're doing in our society is, uh, is the way to go, and it doesn't work. So today, we're going to go into another challenge. So again, I, people are, I'm trying to keep this from being, and I'm going to just say it out loud, because Christians will be like, as long as we get the boy-girl thing right, because it's all about whether you're for gay marriage or against gay marriage or heterosexual marriage and all that, it's like, no, the Bible's clear about that. But if any thought that you could reduce this sermon down to a, a, a sexual identity message is a reductionism that's not biblical. Because today we're about to step into an area that's just as important as gender. We have made gender the thing, or, and also, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm super hyper right now, and it kind of like gets into me, and I just can't, it's my ADD just kicks in. Uh, if you're a little bit older than me, and when you're at my age, there's just a few people that are just a little bit older than you, and you think I might be b being vulgar today, I am not trying to be vulgar. Um, this is the way our generation now talks on this subject. So please don't, it's like, I can't believe you said it like that. Uh, it's like, but no, no, I, I'm, I'm trying to communicate to, to everybody that is here. And so um, we can kind of like say, well, it's all about gender. Well, it's all about not shacking up together or hooking up or our friends with benefits and all that other stuff. I I'm going to tell you today, talking about character is what's ruining most marriages here today. It's a lack of character in marriage. See, marriage has a configuration and a covenant, but it also has a character. Marriage is not about your sexual leanings or how good someone is in bed. Marriage is not about how you feel. It's not about your temperament. Marriage is about a man and a woman striking out and melding core beliefs about God, his world, and striving to represent those core beliefs through sacrifice, through conflict, through romance, through labor, through compassion, through forgiveness, and through truthfulness. I mean, that's the trail that we walk on with God. Marriage is about representing the best about God the best about an individual, and the best about a union of two people. That's, what mar that's, that's why it's so hard. It, it's, that's why it's difficult. But God wants us to experience his best. 
And unfortunately, we've kind of left the character of our marriage and we're settling for bitterness, jealousy, uh, competition in marriage, resentment, anger. All these things have filled the spaces that used to be filled with dreams and laughters and passionate. And, and, and we, we've, we're no longer tolerant with each other in marriage. Uh, there's, there's, we're not forgiving anymore. And, and so something has happened, even though you're still male and female and still married to each other in the eyes of God and the law and covenant, it's like we, we've vacated all this stuff. And this is the stuff that begins to affect a marriage. Marriages are like people. They, they, they have character. Um, the character of a marriage is, the amal- is like an amalgamation of the character of the individuals. You start putting people together, a man and woman together, and the character of the marriage begins to be an amalgamation of the two people that are in it. You know, and you can be around a married couple, and you can like it and not like it. It's like they create this third person. I know it sounds real metaphysical, but whenever the two come together, all of a sudden, when they're walking together, they almost begin to project a third person. And that third person is made an amalgamation of the two people together. And that's not always a pretty sight. I mean, you know, you're, you're, you're having a party at your house, and you're doing fireworks on the 4th, and you got to invite somebody. But Bob and Ellen are the only ones that responded to your, to your evite, okay? And, and you're like, oh, Bob and Ellen. we got to invite Bob and Ellen. Got to have them there. Everybody's got to have a Bob and an Ellen at a party. And so Bob and Ellen show up, and it's, you know there's something about Bob and Ellen. You know they're not happy. You know they're always bickering or fighting or yelling. Or, you know there's always this, and, and it's like when either one of them walks in the room or when they walk in together, there's this third person that walks in dissatisfied, unforgiving. We have problems. There's difficulty. And it just, it's like a person. Likewise, if you have somebody else there that uh, their character joins together, like, and, you know, like a, you know, uh, a Josh and Chapel Luke, you know, you invite them to your party. And, and they're, they're awesome people. Individually, they're awesome. Together, they're awesome. And all of a sudden, you're kind of like, hey, a Josh and Chapel come to my party because I want my party to be good. And, you know, everybody just kind of slinking around with their solo cup. And then Josh and Chapel walk in, and everybody's like, because they walk in the door. What is it about Josh and Chapel? An amalgamation of their relationship. You know they're happy. You know they love each other. You know they're passionate. I'm sorry, guys. I don't mean to throw that out there. But you know these people like being with each other. They're always touching each other, holding each other, laughing together. You know, uh, and, 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 and it becomes like a third person, an amalgamation. And the Bible talks about this, that, that when the character of two people come together and they amalgamate, they, you get this incredible marriage. But likewise, is a verse that really is troubling in 1 Corinthians 15, 33 that says this, bad company corrupts good morals. Is that the amalgamation is affected by the person who's not into the marriage, the person who's checked out, the person who's dragging it down. I wish that the universe worked in such a fashion that said good morals corrupt bad company or enhance bad company. I wish it said that. But we live in a world of entropy. We live in a world of gravity. And what the principle from the scripture is, is bad company corrupts good, good morals. So you can have this one person who's into the marriage 
and they want to make it work. And you got this other person who's just like, their character is lacking, and the marriage, it's, it's amalgamation, is low. And you may have somebody who's sacrificing, who's loving, who's praying for the other person, and all this stuff, and, and you can't save your spouse. And Paul's very clear about that in 1 Corinthians. And it's like, so when you marry somebody that doesn't have character, or you choose to become somebody to walk without the character that you had, all of a sudden, the quotient of your marriage begins to drop, and it begins you know, to become corrupted. And we see that a lot. Uh, Marriages are like vehicles. Um, Every vehicle has a maximum towing capacity. I buy cars and, you know, I'll be like, uh, what's the horsepower on that? Is it all-wheel drive? Yeah, but, you know, dudes will always do this. You know, some of those drive up with a Dodge Ram pickup. I just saw a Dodge guy, so I forgot to pick on him. And so he just kind of like, I got his Dodge Ram, he's like, yeah, that's a nice truck. What's the first thing out of a guy's mouth? Uh, how much can you tow with that thing? And it's like, well, you know, I, I, could, I could tow uh, 4,500 pounds. Oh, yeah. You know the uh, F-150 or the uh, F-350 will tow uh, 8,500 pounds. It's like, oh, really? You can? Yeah. It's like, well, you got 8,500 pounds you need to tow? No. But I just want to be able to, just want to let you know I can tow that much with that thing. Now, I don't know if any of those numbers are true. If you own a Dodge, please forgive me. Uh, maybe you can tow that much. Uh, I'll have all the Dodge people lined up right after service is over. How dare you, sir? But what happens is when you overload a vehicle, it begins to affect its driving ability. So you, you got your trailer and you're starting to throw stuff in the back of the trailer, and all of a sudden you'll feel it get a little mushy, okay? Uh, and, and it'll kind of like do this on you. And, and you'll see some guy on the highway down like I-95, and he's got his pickup truck, and he's towing his boat, and he decided to put his motorcycle in his boat, you know, in the body of his ex-wife. She's in there too. And you got all this stuff. And you're wondering, why is this guy having a hard time keeping it in the lanes? It's because he's exceeded his max towing capability. And it, and it begins to mess up. And this is what happens in, in marriage as well. You're being cute and smart and educated and well off can only tow so much, you know? And we put so much importance on that. It's like, well, you know, she looks good. He looks, he's got a great job. He's got a good career. He does all that. But you know what? Then throughout the years of marriage, you begin throwing crap in the back of the trailer. And you have an argument in year two, and maybe there's an infidelity or a flirtation event that occurs in year four with another person. And you throw that in back. And then, you, you know, you have a conflict or an issue with your kids or somebody deals with cancer in the relationship or somebody loses their job and that gets thrown in the back and all of a sudden your marriage is starting to float a little bit. And then when you try to put the brakes on an argument, you try to stop from saying what you shouldn't say, all of a sudden your vehicle went from 100 feet to stop from 60 miles an hour to about 250 and all of a sudden comes out. I'm telling you, sexy will only get you so far. Rich will get you so far. There is nothing that shows that only poor, ugly people get divorced. I don't know who would keep track of those numbers. And it's like, can you imagine being called over into that line? Um, you're ugly enough. Come on over here. Uh, can you tell me how your marriage is going? You know, it's, so it's not like it's, but it, it seems to be something that's a problem for all, all of us. And it begins with, when you don't have character, it will affect your relationship. I told a story earlier that actually had a traumatic effect on a person's life, so I'm going to tell it again. 
I was driving down to, from Jacksonville yesterday and uh, coming to see Dawn, I mean, Deanna, Morgan, uh, one of my kids. And I was, uh, as I was coming back, I'm just driving along. You know, husband and wife's talk for a while and then you put your earbuds in. Uh, so, so I had my earbuds in. It might be illegal. I don't know. I was going about 88 miles an hour in a vehicle that weighs about 5,000 pounds. Okay? It has, it's all-wheel drive, by the way. And it can tow 6,500 pounds. Just want to let you know. Yeah, that thing can go. So I'm driving down 995, doing it. You listen to my music real loud. And all of a sudden, I notice this Jeep in front of me goes, like that. I mean, like, unnatural. And then, all of a sudden, in front of me, I, all you can hear me yell is, bumper! This bumper from this Nissan in front of us fell off the back of their car. I mean, it's a whole bumper. I mean, it's like, you know, you're flipping through the manual, trying to figure out when there's a bumper in the road, what do you do? You know, so all of a sudden, I mean, I'm at 80 miles an hour, it's on me, and so I yank the wheel to, to avoid the bumper, because this thing's probably gonna get up onto the undercarriage, this thing could kind of like cripple the front of the vehicle, and cause all kinds of problems for me. So I, I turned it. Now, I was raised by a father who was very smart and taught us how to drive from a young age. That avoiding the object is only your first problem. At 88 miles an hour with a SUV that weighs 5,000 pounds, bringing that vehicle under control is going to be a challenge. And I've already accepted the idea that I am going into the median and I just gotta keep it from going into oncoming traffic. So I yank it, and I'm like, now I'm like loosening my dead grip on the wheel. So I'm going to let the wheel help me figure this out. All of a sudden, my vehicle goes, and then back, and, and we're back in the lane again. I'm like, and I got tears coming down my eyes, because so I know we just almost died. And, um, and then I'm like, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus. And I'm talking to Susan, to, just thanking Jesus. But there's a program, a system in my vehicle. It's a Toyota product. It's called KDSS, okay? It's, it's like kinetic dynamic uh, suspension system. Now, most cars have um, uh, these stabilizers in the front and the back that hold it so that you kind of like, well, the pitch and the yaw of your vehicle is under control, but there's limits. This vehicle actually has that controlled by hydraulics. So when it detected that I had pitched the, this way, it automatically, in split seconds, sends hydraulic fluid through the other side of the car and pushes with little shock exhaust, pushes up the other side of the vehicle to compensate for the weight. And all of a sudden, my vehicle was under control. And, and it's like, we avoided rolling over because of this system. Um, and one of my point is that just you and her, you're probably gonna roll your marriage. Unless you have some other system built into your marriage, you're probably going to roll it. Most couples end up in divorce. They roll their vehicle when they all of a sudden have that bumper moment. So that's why the Apostle Paul talks a lot about husbands and wives um, restoring the character of Christ in their marriages, the, images, uh, the image of Christ in their, their lives. It changes everything. Matter of fact, in VBS your kids are gonna learn something really powerful. They're gonna learn this little phrase, it's kind of like the, the theme of it, following Jesus changes the game. And I can tell you from one bad marriage to one great marriage, the difference wasn't that me and my wife Susan are better 
homo sapiens than, than the first pairing, but rather Jesus changes the game. The principles of Jesus, the way that Jesus calls us to live and to walk that trail will change the marriage. It will transform the marriage. So the trail of marriage in Zion is a pattern of love and, and being like Christ. It's about sacrificing and honoring. Now I'm gonna read you some verses that are gonna give you the classic, you're gonna give me the classic eye roll. You're, you are, you're gonna give me the classic eye roll because you're just gonna hate these verses. But these are on the trail. You gotta have your bear spray. You gotta have the right shoes on. You gotta avoid this particular section. The Apostle Paul says about marriage in Ephesians 5.21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's like, well, I'm an American. We don't submit to nobody. It's like, okay, go ahead. You, you want to go in that park with your marriage and you want to be in a competition with your wife or with your husband and you want to be two autonomous individuals, you know, and you want to work on your own system of government individually and think it's going to work. It's not going to work. You're going to disagree about money. You're going to disagree about the kids. You're going to disagree about what house to buy. You're going to disagree about absolutely everything. And the Apostle Paul says, listen, if you want the best out of marriage, you're going to have to learn to submit to one another as a reverence of Christ. I mean, Jesus submits to the Father. Jesus submits himself to the cross for our sake. That there is this trail that God wants us to walk on in marriage. Our character needs to be one that looks out for the need of our spouse. And this is really challenging. The character of Christ has become the standard. So here's a couple I rule verses. That's why Paul says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave him up for her. Now, most people are not offended by this verse. I'm gonna speak for the dudes in this group, okay? I'm offended by this. This could have been translated, husbands, cherish your wives. Because that's really what it means. Uh, it's like, oh, I love her. I, I provide the money. I go, got the house, you know. Ladies, you think we wake up wanting to do this. Speaking for a lot of males here, maybe there are better males here than me. There probably are. But I wake up in the morning and my first thought is not cherishing anything. It's not like I'm a cherisher in nature. It's not like there is a DNA in my body that Paul wakes up cherishing. It's not like I open my eyes and say, oh, there she is. I can't wait to cherish her today. The Apostle Paul knew this so much that he told husbands this, because guys need to be told to cherish. They need to be reminded to cherish. It's not what we want to do. We'll, we'll get married. We get a mortgage. We get a job. We got 2.5 kids. It's like, what else do you want from me? I'm a good guy. It's like, no, cherish. Are you cherishing her? So I just, you ladies are like, let's, he should do this. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do that. But <laughs> most of you speak like that, don't you? I mean, uh, but you don't have to speak like that to be a woman. But I had to explain all this stuff today. Uh, so uh, you think this is normal for us. This isn't normal for us. We want to go fishing. You know, we want, we want to just, we don't want to talk. We just want it. So don't worry. Here's the other eye roll. Wives, subject yourselves to husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Yeah, now I got the attention, don't I? Your ladies are like, all of a sudden, everybody went from, well, I don't understand why they don't understand that verse. Well, here's the next one. 
And then everybody's like this, like, there ain't no way in heck I'm doing any of that. You're right, ladies. You're right. The thought of honoring somebody that you think is dishonorable is objectionable, isn't it? I'm telling you, marriage God's way will challenge every predilection that you have. Every first thought, it will be cherished. The idea that I have to cherish my wife is not my first thought. The idea that you would give the gift of honoring your husband even when he doesn't deserve to be honored, yeah, you're right. That's counterintuitive, but it is the trail that is in Zion. And I know there's people here, and I can see your faces. I won't look at you right now. Uh, I don't want to give anybody away. You're here and you're saying, I'm a nice person. I'm smart. I work hard. I'm decently attractive. And I make good money. What else do you want from me? I have heard this in more marriage counseling situations than any other phrase. What else do you want from me? Let me just tell you, sexy and rich is not going to get it done in marriage. We need to walk in the character of Christ. So I, I was asking God to kind of help me explain this, and he gave me a couple of verses on marriage that, that when a pastor or somebody like me that like finds a verse and uses it in a certain way, and you don't think anybody in the world has ever done it before, in my profession, that's kind of like, like a, what? I can't believe I found this. Well, I can tell you this. I had never thought these thoughts about these verses before a week ago today. I was driving my car with my little earbuds in, and God gave me these verses. And I'm telling you, if you will grab a hold of these, it will challenge or direct and guide you in your marriage. And all of a sudden, it just exploded for me. And the reason why I tell you that is, I believe God inspired me with these verses for this group of people that are here today. And you need to get used to following after God and expecting him to talk to you about your spouse, about your quality of love, your quality of character. He will give you insights. So we all know that we're supposed to love and forgive like Jesus, right? We're supposed to die like Jesus. We're supposed to honor like Jesus. We basically know from all the scripture, we are to be like Christ in all things. So this next verse really just talked to me so much. Hebrews chapter one, verse three says this. Jesus upholds all things by the power of his word. Now, throughout scripture, we're told that God creates the universe through, the, through his word and that we discover in John that that word, word the amalgamation of his word, is actually a person. It, it is Jesus, the Christ, that he is the word of God, and he's called repeatedly over and over. The book of Hebrews, the book of Colossians, all talk about that he is the word of God and that through the word of God, God created all things and they were created by Jesus. Since the moment of creation, the word of God has been sustaining the universe. If Jesus was all of a sudden to take his word back, the universe would collapse. If he was ever to retract his creative word, the universe would not exist any longer. He upholds, his word upholds the world. Now you and I are called to be like Jesus. This is true in marriage. We are to copy Jesus. You are called to uphold your marriage by the power of your word. You are called 
to uphold your marriage by the power of your word. The word uphold means this, to elevate it, to give it support, and to strengthen it against its opponents. That that's what we're called to do. We're called to uphold it. So let's just talk about your marriage right now. Are you upholding it with the power of your word? I'm gonna say something that I think I, I had two men that were crying after the first service. I had two more men who came up. It's like, oh my goodness, man, you didn't pull any punches. I'm not trying to hurt anybody. I'm just reading you the word of God. If you are a man and you are not talking to your wife, you are attacking and you are, you are pulling the universe from underneath her. You are destroying your marriage. And I know, I'm not a talker. I think I told you earlier, we were driving from Jacksonville and I had my earbuds in. I didn't mention to you that my wife was sitting next to me. It's like, I don't wanna talk all the time. But here's the thing. You uphold the mar- your marriage by the power of your word. You know what we call somebody who up- that upholds their word? We have a word for this. It's a person of character. Your character is only as good as the power of your word, what you hold up with your word. So let me ask you, in the middle of all those fluffy vows that you gave while you were getting married, you know, uh, to that do we part, you know, Paul, will you cherish your wife? Yes, sir. uh, Susan, will you honor your husband? Yes, sir. It's like, you gave your word. Are you using, are you upholding the power of your word? Are you still upholding that? Or have you let it go? You see, cuteness wears off. Um, but your word doesn't have to. My, my cuteness, is, it's gone. It's gone. I mean, I stood in front of the mirror the other day. I should just take that stupid thing out of my house. I mean, I just... I mean, it lives in my house rent-free. I put it up against the wall. I was talking to it the other day. It's like, dude, you do nothing in here, right? You know, every time I come in here, you're just hanging out, and, and I look at you, and you say bad things to me every time I look at you, okay? I'm telling you, cute wears off. I don't care. This, this is going to sound really crazy, but I was a cute teenager. I mean, I, I, mean, I was. I was, a, I, was a, I was a cute teenager. I had, you know, 19, late 70s. I had that Sean Cassidy look or... David, you know, I had my hair part of the side and it was real long and it came down to here. I had a leather vest on, had a leather choker that went around and my sleeves were all rolled up, bell-bottom pants. And, and you know, I mean, I, was, I had the little things and it was like just so 70s cute. And I'm telling you, I keep looking in the mirror for cute and it has abandoned me. It, it, it is gone. I got things grown on my body. I mean, that's why I read some magazines about styles for men over 60, you know? I do. I'm sorry. Uh, Catherine cuts my hair, and I will bring five guys, you know, with haircuts that'll be like over 60. It's like, hey, can you do that one for me? No. Can you do that one for me? No. It's like, can you do that one for me? No. It's like, okay, so I'm not Sean Connery. I'm not... I, I'm not Brad Pitt, and it's like, okay. But, but I go through all these things about, one of the things that says about men over 50, just want to let you know, if you're over 50, you shouldn't be wearing tank tops anymore, okay? Nobody wants to see your hairy shoulders. I mean, it's, it's, nobody does. It's not cute anymore. It was cute when you were 25, but it's not cute now. The other thing 
over 55, men, you're not supposed to be taking your shirt off at a public pool, all right? You have a vow to your community. Do not take that shirt off. So what is my point? Men or women, cuteness runs out. Just know it, it does. But your word doesn't have to. But we're letting our word drop. We'll have a fight with, some, with, with our spouse, and all of a sudden, we just let the word drop. All of a sudden, you know, you're in your room, and you've had an argument, and all of a sudden, boom, boom. Your spouse was like, what was that, honey? What, what happened? Nothing. And you just dropped cherishing. You just said in your mind, screw her. You know? And all of a sudden, cherishing dropped and hit the ground. All of a sudden, he's upstairs, and, and, and uh, all of a sudden, she, he hears glass breaking in the, in the kitchen or wherever you are, and it's like, honey, you okay? What was that? Oh, that's nothing. And it's just like honoring just fell to the ground because of your last argument. He's an idiot. You know, guys decide that I don't like talking. Oh, well, let me just tell you, Mr. Non-Talker, I'm willing to bet when you were dating, you were just a little chatterbox. You were just talking it all up. You were just like, you know, I love you, baby. I can't live without you, baby. Yeah, I love you, baby. You were bringing flowers. Flowers dropped to the ground. I was bringing you chocolates. Chocolates, year seven, dropped to the ground. I was giving you, you're the only one made for me. Drop it to the ground. Women, you do the same thing. You know, you can't keep your hands off each other before you get married. And, and you know, it's like, man, we, and all of a sudden, now you're using sex like a doggy treat. Only when he behaves himself. Only when he, I, he thinks, I don't want to have sex with him because then it will affirm that what he's doing is, you know, it's like, I'm like, oh my gosh. You're just going to, so that's what we're going to do. We're just going to, we're going to let it drop. So let me ask you, did you stop giving your word? Physically, you didn't check out, but the power of your word has. And I just need to make this very clear. Guys, if you're not going to talk to your wife, that is a crime against your marriage. It's savage. If Jesus was to withdraw his, the power of his word, the universe would cease. If you stop talking to your wives, your marriage will end. What do you want from me? It's like, she wants your word. She wants you to uphold it. You said you'd do this. Do it. Likewise, wives, there are things that you've pulled back from your husband that you've let crash to the ground. So that led us... Uh, if you're dating here, stop looking at pictures on the internet. I've never been to those websites where you kind of find a spouse and all that stuff. Um, and, you know, start asking who you're dating some hard questions. Um, stop having sex before you ask hard questions. I mean, um, this is what the Apostle Paul said, or he would have said if he was here today. I love you, baby. I need you, baby, doesn't mean jack. It doesn't mean jack. If you're in a relationship and you haven't had a fight yet, and you think that's good, you're dating a moron. If the man or the woman are worth their salt intellectually and passionately, it should be the collision of powerful, powerfully charged atoms. There should be conflict. Stop avoiding it. Well, we're, we're not like my mom and dad. We never argue. You know what that means? 
You don't know his character. You don't know if he won't slap you in the face at the first argument. Well, he would never hit me. Really? Have you tested his character? Have you challenged some, some of the ideologies that are going on in the life, in each other's life? Um, if you are two smart people dating and you have not had a conflict, I am telling you this. One of you is lying. One of you is lying in order to make it just get along. When I was dating Susan, uh, it was funny. Since I had a bad marriage, uh, Susan decided, and she asked me permission, but she said, listen, I'd like to interview the people in your life. I'm like, okay. This is like before she started dating me. And it's like, and I'm like, you got permission. So she went to, her, to my pastor and said, okay, can you tell me what happened in his divorce? I want to know, did he cheat on her? You know, he's like, no, didn't cheat on her. It's like, okay, did he stay, you know, did he start dating before he was divorced? No, he didn't start dating. You know, she talked to like a, a friend of mine. She talked to a small group leader. She talked and asked, it's like, okay. She'd also uh, be like, um, does he take, he's a single parent, so does he take care of his daughter Dawn? Yes. Why? It's because if I'm not going to take care of that daughter, she knows I'm not going to take care of her daughter if we have one. I mean, why would you just do that? Well, he'll love my child more. It's like, no, if he's not taking care of the one that he's a single parent with, he's not going to take care of that one. And, and so she would, my wife actually, without my knowledge, contacted the state of Texas where I was divorced and asked for the, a copy from the court of the decree of divorce. She wanted to make sure I was really divorced. And she also wanted to know why I was really divorced. It's like, what was my wife looking for? Character, even in the midst of failure, you know? So if you're dating and you're not having hard conversations, I told Susan, I said, uh, as we were dating, because she had an apartment and I had an apartment. We could have easily just merged our apartments together. She was 30, I was 28, you know? It's like, we could easily be hooking up and nobody would know it. But I told her this. I said, if I can't keep my hands off of you before marriage, you have no reason to believe I will keep my hands off another woman after we're married. She's like, okay. I, I'm serious. It's the first time ever in my life I didn't put my hands on a woman. It's like, yeah, but wasn't that risky? You didn't know how you were going to have sex together and all that stuff? I wasn't looking to make a sex relationship. I was looking to build a divinely gifted and blessed marriage. I had already had sex. I was looking to travel on a trail I had never been on before, the one that God created. And so, um, so if, you're not, if you're dating, you need to be having some really serious questions. I also like, not only are you supposed to uphold the power of your, your word in your relationship, there was this other verse that popped out of me, and this one is really powerful. Never been used before for marriage. You are hearing it here first, okay? So when I'm dead and gone, and they make commentaries about my life and biblical expositories based upon my handling. This was, this is the first one here. I am totally joking. Colossians 1.17. No, I'm not joking. I think I'm the first person to come up with this. Colossians 1.17. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. That's got something to do with marriage. We don't wait for our spouse to act before we act. We act before all things. Well, I'll say I'm sorry after he says he's sorry. No, that's not Jesus. We're supposed to be like Jesus, right? Well, Jesus is before all things. That means you love before 
forgiveness is asked for. It's like, well, you expected me to have sex with a guy that I don't honor? Is he your husband? Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, Jesus dying on the cross? Yeah, that's super crazy too. Turning the other cheek when somebody strikes you? That's crazy too. But that's the trail that we're in. It's like, you act first. You don't wait for your wife to show you some romance interest. You make the reservation for the restaurant. You know, at the beginning of the relationship, I would always do that. I'd be like, hey, Susan, guess what? I got a great place we're gonna go. And she'd be like, oh, this is awesome. But about year 10, she'd say, we need to go out. And I'd be like, hey, just pick a place and we'll go. Oh, guys, let me just tell you, women think that's so sexy. When they have to pick the place uh, for you to take them out to dinner, no, it's ridiculous. So now, I, it just happened, we just crossed 35 years, a milestone, uh, the Grand Canyon. Uh, we just crossed 35 years, and I just texted her. I said, hey, listen, tonight we're going out. And she's like, where are we going? And it's like, you know, Peninsula Grill or, or Middleton Plantation or something like that. And, and I'm telling you what, I got out in front of that. Susan came home, and she was all kind of amore d'amore, and I don't talk a French, okay? I mean, she was all, it's like, wow, what happened there? I got out in front of it. Men, and I can only speak for men on this, you need to get out in front on forgiveness, okay? You don't need to walk around, get quiet, and, and cower into some room in the back room and just stay out of the way. And when she's ready to talk, I'll talk, but I'm not gonna talk. You know, it's like she told me she didn't wanna talk, so I'm not gonna talk. It's like, you know what, guys, come on. Be like Jesus. Get out there. I, I'll chase my wife down. I'll be like, listen, we got to get this resolved. It's like, we need to get, I'm going to get before all if I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And, and I'll lead out there in forgiveness. Ladies, the same thing. You need to lead. You need to get out there. You know, you fought for your civil liberties so that you could be equal with man. Well, okay, how about it? Get out there before all things. Get out there in forgiveness, giving forgiveness, giving love and, and stuff. Also like the other part of this. He said, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. We don't hope for things to stay together. I kind of hope, hope marriage stays together. I hope I'll still feel the same way for her in 10 years that I feel for her today. We don't hope for it to stay together. We act to hold it all together. How are you acting, husband, to hold it together? Or are you just waiting on her to decide whether or not we're going to keep the marriage or not? You know, you're just letting her do the kids. You know, it's like, uh, what are you doing to hold it all together? What are you doing to hold it up by the power of your word? What did you promise you would do and you're not doing any anymore? I fall into it too. Sometimes I'll just grunt my way through the day with Susan. Yeah, okay, whatever. And she'll be like, hey, what do you think about that show? It was good. It's like, okay, hey, do you think that meal that we got from uh, whatever it was, is gonna, uh, yeah, it was okay. I know she wants at least 15 to 30 more seconds of interaction, and I'll be like, I don't want to do it. I don't, uh, don't want to talk. Hey, do you mind if I put my headphones on while we drive down the road? I mean, I know you're sitting right there, and I know we could be talking the whole time and sharing each other's life, but I'd rather listen to Van Halen right now if I could possibly do that, you know, and I'll put it in the headphones. It's, it's like... But this tells us, no, you don't get to do that. You've got to be before all things. You've got to hold it together. Wives, it's the same for you. Um, what you do to hold it together is a little bit different. Um, 
And I can say this, don't wait for your husband to become respectable before you honor him. Okay, God wants you to get out in front of that. Men kind of become what they think you think they are. It's just the way that we are. If you think I'm a hero, I will act like a hero. If you speak to me like I'm a, like, you know, I'm a caring person, I will live up to that. Ladies, guys, start cherishing. Loving is not paying a bill or loving is not just rotating the tires. It's cherishing. Cherishing in her language, not yours. What does, makes her feel cherished? Is it doing the dishes? Well, then do them. Get out in front of them. Don't wait for her to ask. That's me. She'll be like, hey, Paul, do you think you could help me in the kitchen a little bit? And then I'll think, all right, out of love, I'll get up and I'll be a good husband. No, a good husband would have been in before all things, holding all things together. (sighs) Okay, I'm finished. (laughs) I'm telling you, Christianity, the way that God wants us to live, is challenging. But when you get up in those trails and you look from life from the vantage point that God's given you through that trail, it's amazing. I've been through a divorce and it was ugly. It was just as ugly as all yours. It was nasty, you know? I thought, man, I'm just gonna get divorced and get rid of that woman. I see her at every graduation. I see her at, she's, she's in my daughter's life. It's like, I didn't get rid of nobody. Okay, so, so if you think that's the solution, I, I, I saw this little article, it popped up on my phone. I think it was like from Vogue magazine, and it was a woman writing, and, and, um, and this is the advice of the world, and the title was, uh, A Trend I Find When uh, Sleeping with Younger Men. And so I was interested. It's like, well, what's the going trend with Gen Zers in bed? You know, I mean, I'm always interested in sociological phenomenons and things like that. And so I look at the, I'm looking at the title, and then I'm like, wait a minute. How many women, guys, is this woman sleeping in bed? And then it was like, why is she an authority on, on trends of sexuality? See, there are all kinds of trails out there you can follow. Guys hooking up with guys, girls hooking up with girls, guys sending pictures of their body parts to girls, girls sending party parts. I mean, there are all kinds of trails out there. But if you choose God's trail, it will be hard, it will be difficult. Um... But I'm telling you, I've been in two marriages, and you go on out, when you walk on your way out and you get your prayer card for praying for VBS, you look over to the right-hand side, there'll be this woman that looks uh, very attractive, hair slightly parted to the side, she'll have this nice little outfit on, and you you go up to her and say, is your marriage as good as this guy's making it out to be? You ask my wife, you interrogate her, you ask her, does, what you tell me, and I'm telling you what, it's as good. It's just good. Why? Because I'm a better man than the rest of you guys here? Absolutely not. I already screwed up. This trail is better than any trail you could ever walk. Remember, following Jesus changes the game. It will change the marriage. Father, thank you so much for your love. And God, I know some of us here have a We have abandoned the character of our marriages. Some of us here, we're still occupying the same house, sharing the same budget, and raising the same kids. 
But God, we have let our words drop. Cherishing fell to the ground in 2005. Honoring fell to the ground in 2018. Flowers fell to the ground in 2019. Crying together and laughing together fell in 2021. Sex fell to the ground in 2022. We just let it keep dropping and dropping and dropping. But God, today you're calling us to uphold our marriages by the power of our word, to get out in front of this, to hold it together. And how? By cherishing one another, by submitting to one another, by honoring one another in reverence in Christ. God, we are marked in Zion to have marriages where the kingdom of God comes, where the beauty, the, the romance, even in your 60s, can flourish. The laughter can be restored. The dreaming together. The joy, even in, even in front of the mirror, feel a sense of newness about life. And it doesn't come from a website. It doesn't come from sexy. It doesn't come from having a job. It comes from upholding our word. And some of us need to start putting our word back out there again. Start talking again. Be the first in all things. Not waiting to talk when we're talked to. Not waiting to be romantic when someone has earned it. It's our calling to hold all things together, not just hope it stays together. So as we receive the body and blood of Jesus Christ, we are reminded that anything good in life happens through a sacrifice through somebody giving up the body, their body and blood. That while we were yet sinners, Jesus got out in front of it and died for us. God, this time in communion is a reminder of the sacrifice that is necessary for any heavenly relationship to occur on planet Earth. And I am here, I have experienced hell, and I have experienced heaven, and I have found your word to be true. God, lead us by your Holy Spirit to walk in it. In Jesus' name.